0: Hey, you know, there's an old saying that goes like this, you never get a second chance to make a good, that's right. So I got a question for you today. Um, I started here uh, a long time ago. And I know some of you heard my first message, you've been here with me that long, you were here before I was here. If that's you, would you stand up? Stay, stay standing. Stay standing. I just want, I want to see how many you are. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Wow. Okay, here it is. You never get a second chance to make a good first impression. I'll give any of you $20 who can remember my first message was. I am hurt. I am disappointed, highly offended. None of you can tell me? I spoke out of Joshua chapter 1. Oh, yeah, right. Philip, he was, he's probably still in his mama's womb. Okay, well, you guys, sorry. I just wanted to see, so, not many. There wasn't many here then, so don't think that they all left, uh, but... Um, You know, you never get that that, that first impression opportunity again. I just wanted to see if anybody remembered my first message. Because we're going to look at the first message of Jesus today, which is written for us, and we can remember it. So turn to Mark chapter 1. Now, it's it's a fairly short message, and I know that I was thinking about this this week. I'm trying so hard to get shorter, because I know that Jesus is pretty short. And you go, but he's perfect, and I'm not, so there you go. That's my excuse. But let's look at Jesus. This is the essence of his first message. And believe me, he didn't just stand up and preach like this. Because if you you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you'll see that his message was much longer. And they abbreviated it because they couldn't take notes that fast. So just understand that. So here's Jesus' first message. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John, oh, first of all, would you just give those people a big hand? I can't believe they've stayed here 22 years. Those are uh, those are high-ranking people in the kingdom to be able to stick around that long, and I just I love and appreciate them. Where was I? John, uh, Mark. Here we go. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. What does good news mean? Oh, come on! I just talked about it three weeks ago. What's the good news? The gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. What's the good news? Okay, now what's the three things? Mainly, Jesus came, died, rose again for our sins. Don't forget that. Okay. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus' first day on the job, right there. He's preaching. That's his message. So notice the key words, repent, believe, good news. The kingdom of God, it's near. The time has come, it's fulfilled. Well, what time? Well, remember now, the Jewish prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years were foretelling a day, speaking of a day when God's kingdom would come. It would bring God's reign and purposes on earth. And then at some point, God's gonna judge this world and he's gonna make everything right. So Jesus comes to announce, he comes onto the scene and he announces that this Jewish vision is now coming to pass right before their eyes. The prophecies are being fulfilled. The kingdom of God has not only come, it's here. You can experience it. And what's he say? He says, the gospel, the good news. We notice this the first week. That the focus of Jesus' life was the good news of his life coming. Well, what does that mean? In the the Greek translation, the word good news is euangelion. And it has to do, it means gospel good news, and it it combines the words angelos, which is the word for announcing good news. It's the one that announces, it's the prefix uh, that, that, that announces something coming. And then you means, you means joyful. So the gospel is news that is meant to bring joy. Tim Keller in his book on Mark, he says that that the, the, the meaning of this word during that time really didn't even have a religious meaning. It was oftentimes used, the gospel was used in a very secular sense, where if they were telling the story of a Caesar, they would say, here is the gospel of the Caesar from the time of his birth until the time of his coronation. It was good news that meant that something of substance and significance had come on earth and it was going to begin to change history in a significant way. So, Mark, Jesus, takes this word and he says, Something of significance is coming. This is good news. It's going to alter history and ultimately it's going to alter people. It's going to alter you. And it's going to alter me. It's a meaningful day. And we see this clear distinction, loved ones, between Christianity and other religions. Or even those who have no religion. See, religion's really good advice. Christianity is good news. It's a, it, it's been it's been spoken forth. It's news that can alter your life. That can ultimately alter a world. It can alter a church. It can alter a community. It can alter a city. See, religion tells you how to get to God, how to connect with God, how to earn your way to God. But Christianity is news about what God has done. How through the love of his love for you and me that he sent his only begotten son. So the focus isn't what you've done or what you do. It's what God has done through the person of Christ Jesus. That's good news. He came so that you and I could have access to God. We could simply enter into the kingdom. We didn't have to work to get into it. Isn't it interesting that every other teacher, philosopher, guru, religious leader who came and they lived, that their so-called ministries were highly interrupted when they died. But when Jesus came and he died, his ministry was fully fulfilled. And still continues today through this world, in this world through you and me. So, what's the kingdom of God? Jesus' central message was really all about the kingdom of God. Now, if you look on the back notes of your outline, I just put a lot of scriptures there today so that you, they're not, they're not all of them concerning the kingdom of God, but there's a lot of them there that will really help you begin to understand a little bit more, do some study on the kingdom of God. I've listed these verses, and you'll notice that most of them are found in the gospels because that was the core, the heart of Jesus' message. But let me tell you what the kingdom of God isn't first. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about the church. Although the kingdom of God is resident in here. We're not talking about heaven. And a lot of people get that kind of, uh, they kind of get that mixed up because of the term kingdom of heaven you'll see here, kingdom of God. But Matthew, when he talks of the kingdom of heaven, he's really, it's the same thing as the kingdom of God. Why does he use kingdom of heaven? Because he's writing to Jewish people. And these Jewish people, they had been waiting and anticipating for hundreds of years, millennia, when the kingdom of God would come and it would be set up on earth. It would be literal, it'd be temporal, it would be practical, it'd be real, it'd be tangible. But Jesus came to say, "Uh uh-uh, nope, not yet. That's coming, my second coming. Now I'm coming as the suffering servant, the Messiah, who can come to give life and alter the course of history and give people a new hope. But this is not a tangible, this is not a temporal, this is a spiritual kingdom. And he's really saying that what you're going to experience is it's the kingdom of heaven coming down to the kingdom of earth. So don't get the kingdoms mixed up, he's saying, to the Jewish people. And I want you to know the same thing. When we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, two interchangeable words by two different authors trying to communicate something differently to to, to different people. It's not a place. It's not a thing. Because we see kingdom as a region, as a realm, and as a location. But it's a reign, it's not a realm. It's a, dom- it's, a, it's a dominion, not a domain. The kingdom of God is inward, it's not outward, although we can oftentimes see it manifested. See, Jesus didn't come to stake out a new territory and set up a f- physical kingdom. But that's what everybody wanted, that's what everybody thought, and that's why everybody began to turn on Jesus at the end when he died, because they thought this is the Messiah, and he was. But they thought he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom, but he wasn't. He was coming to do some greater things for us before the earthly kingdom kingdom comes at the end of the age as we know it so what's the kingdom of God it is simply this write this down it is the rule and reign of God the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God so wherever the rule and reign of God is taking place there is the kingdom of God is the is is the rule and reign of Christ happening in this room right now Yeah, this is an expression then of the kingdom of God, but you can't say the church is the kingdom of God. It is simply part of it. Every kingdom must have a king. And you might think, well, wait, wait a minute. How can Jesus say that the kingdom of God is near or has come? Hasn't God always ruled? Well, yes, he has. God is and always has been the creator, the sustainer, and king of the universe. But there's some different things we need to understand about it. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21 says this. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Another way that uh, could be translated is that the kingdom of God is among you. So the Pharisees here, they're asking when the kingdom is going to come. And they meant, when is this revolution going to happen? Jesus, are you going to be the one? Are you the Messiah that's going to come kick the stuffings out of Rome and remove them? And we're not going to be oppressed anymore by this government. And you're going to set up your kingdom. We're going to be the big dogs of the world. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh, Let me correct your misconceptions. Now this is interesting because of what's taking place here contextually. See, this statement that Jesus makes comes on the heels of Jesus touching 10 lepers. These people have seen demons cast out by Jesus, the dead raised, people ministered to, new life given. And they're still asking, when is the kingdom gonna come? And Jesus takes them back and he says, listen, don't think that you can just see and observe this thing because it's among you. You know why it was among them? Because Jesus was sitting right there in their midst. He says, I am bringing this kingdom. Now, this is kind of important because we we have a tendency to look for the kingdom, the, the king and everything to take place. And I suppose that many of us think in those terms and the rule of Christ, don't we? I mean, don't we have a tendency to evaluate whether Jesus is on our side based on what he does or doesn't do? What's taking place around me, what isn't? Things go wrong, don't work out. We begin to think, hmm, I must have done something wrong. Jesus and the kingdom really isn't concerned about me or within me or among me. And see, loved ones, that's so far from the truth. Uh, I'll remember back, it was 1976. I was just out of high school. And this girl that I thought I was going to marry, her name was Terry Jo. And um, I thought I was going to marry her. And uh, she had another year of of high school to go. Now, what's interesting is Trina set me up with her. Uh, What's even more interesting, it was Trina's best friend. So she, you know, Trina kind of figured I was a loser, and she says, so I'll give them to my best friend. I sure don't, not that I want to do with him. And uh, because Trina and I went to school together. And uh, and I told you the story before, how I carried out both of their mother's groceries, and um, I think the moms would have married me, but the girls, they were kind of, you know, whatever. But set me up, and she dropped me. And this is right when I was becoming, I was on this fence. I was trying to make this decision about being a Christ follower, because my dad had started making me go to church, and I was going to church. And, and, um, and I was kind of in this throes of, what am I going to do with this God thing? And she broke up with me, and I was just Devastated. And, and I found this little booklet. It was this faith booklet. Now, if you remember back in, in, the, in the mid to late 70s into the early 80s, they had this theology. It was, process, it was still around, but it was very prevalent, really growing back then. Word of faith, prosperity gospel. Gab it and grab it. Claim it and get it. If you speak the word, you'll get it. Lord Jesus, I'm going to be a millionaire. You know, and as if that's really going to make a difference. Well, I found this book and it said things like this. If you will just memorize these scriptures, say these words and pray this prayer for 30 days, you'll get what you want. So Terry's just broken up with me. I'm devastated. I take out this book and I start memorizing these scriptures. And I start saying, in Jesus' name, give me Terry Joe back. And then I said, whatever the prayer was, oh God, I'm a faithful servant. Give me my woman, you know, whatever it was. And I prayed that for 30 days. Guess what happened? You know, <laughs> Trina got stuck with me. You know, for whatever reason, for, and I and I look back and I go, oh, poor Terry Joe, look what she missed. And. Um, <laughs> I'm only kidding, because you can get this real scoop from Trina. But Trina got the like, you know, second place or something with me. But um, we ended up together. But I thought, you know, isn't that how we think? Because I thought with this God thing, man, if I do this thing right, this little formula, it's going to work out. It's a silly illustration, but I suggest that at points in our lives, we all think this way about the kingdom of God and about the rule of Christ, that we, we really believe and expect Jesus to do What? If he's really at work, if his kingdom's really being manifested, he's going to heal my marriage. He's going to fill my checkbook. He's going to provide me with a spouse. He's going to change my spouse. And they're going to come to church. He's going to square away my children in Jesus' name. I pray it. I believe it. But when we don't see these things, then we can happen. We can logically deduce that maybe Jesus, well, he's not really for us. His kingdom is not really being manifest in us and among us and through us because these things aren't taking place for us. And see, like the Pharisees, they didn't really understand what Jesus was doing and what his kingdom is about. Sometimes we don't. But see, the rule and reign of Jesus in your life, it's simply this, where where you walk with him, you listen to him, you live life with him, And you hear him and you respond to what he wants you to do. And with that, loved ones, there's no guarantees of what's going to happen. There's no guarantee that he's going to heal your marriage. Because that's up to two people. There's no guarantee that your child will go the right way. Because that child has to make the difference. Now pray for them, please. Pray for them. Believe for them. Speak faith over them, to them. But ultimately... They will have to deal with God's kingdom at work in them. And don't try and make Christianity and the kingdom of God a formula. Listen, there will be manifestations of the kingdom. I believe what's happening at Creekside today to now in this season is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our midst. But that's only a part of it. It's just a manifestation of the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus in this place and really in your life and in your heart. See, an aspect of sin is simply declaring to myself that I am the king of my life instead of God. It's when I'm living my own laws instead of living his laws. By It's living my rules and guidelines, not living God's guidelines. It's telling God like a five-year-old, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do my own thing. And haven't we all set ourselves up as these little mini monarchs that we're running our own lives, just totally independent of God? Most of us in this room started out that way at some point. And the result is that we're oppressed. We become oppressed. And a lot of you i have seen you. You've been oppressed by Satan and in, in his domain and his kingdom. And it's because you got to the end of your rope. You got to the bottom line. You said, I don't want to live this way anymore. And you said, it's not working for me. Because, see, Jesus came to liberate us and to bring us into this gracious reign of God. Colossians 1.3 says it this way. For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son of God. That he was. I used to teach history in junior high school and think of occupied Europe in World War II and Nazi Germany, which ruled much of Europe by brutal oppression. What happened on D Day? Well, the Allied, the first of the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy, and there it began to establish a beachhead, and it moved on. and From D-Day on, liberation began to spread across Europe, and as Allies advanced, and the forces of darkness were begin to be defeated, the forces of of Nazism. That Colossians 1 passage, loved ones, is our personal spiritual D-Day. Jesus' first message announces this, that the king has landed on occupied territory. He's landed on the occupied territory of your heart, your life, and your spirit. And he says, "I'm I'm not setting a flag down, I'm setting a cross down. It's an intersection that every one of us faces before Jesus Christ. And he says, I've set this cross down. The kingdom of God, my rule and reign is starting from here on. And I want to spread it in your life and ultimately through your life. And see, loved ones, the kingdom of God is experienced wherever the king is. So whenever you bring Jesus to wherever you go, the kingdom of God can literally be established there. God's kingdom is experienced wherever God's will is done. Matthew 6, 9, and 10 says this. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom comes wherever God's will is done and expressed. Notice that God's will is done in heaven. And see, that's what makes it heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven, because he wants to see things done here on earth as it is in heaven. But hear me, heaven is perfect, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and we will never experience that here until the fullness of the kingdom of God comes. Because hear this, it's interesting because there's this this dichotomy of what takes place in theology. The kingdom of God came with Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you can see how God intended life to be lived, what God wants for us. Heaven is where his will is perfectly done. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom here to this place, God's will to earth. He wants to see heaven happen in your life. He wants to see heaven happen on earth. So as you read the Gospels, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see Jesus heals the sick. You know why? Because there's no sickness in heaven. Jesus raised the dead. Why? Because there's no death in heaven. Jesus fed the multitudes. Why? Because there's no poverty. There's no hunger in heaven. Jesus forgave sin. He reconciled people to his father. Why? Because there's perfect relationship with God, with the Godhead, the triune God in heaven. Jesus said, I'm bringing my kingdom, my father's kingdom, heaven to earth. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's great, but it sure ain't happening in my life in my home. God's will is not being done there, and his kingdom isn't coming. So how can you say that the kingdom has come in Christ? Well, earlier I think I said this, that the kingdom was coming and is coming. It's coming in part, but it's not coming fully. Theologians express it this way. They say that it's inaugurated eschatology. Eschatology has to do with the last things. Graduated or or gradual means that we're going to see the end things coming Gradually, or inaugurate gradually, which is a fancy way of saying that God's will is begun to be experienced, but not fully. God's reign started when Jesus Christ came, but it won't be fully realized until he comes a second time. Do you understand that? So from the time Jesus came, it becomes the church, the institution of God, you and me, to begin to help bring forth and to realize and for help people experience the kingdom of God. So Jesus spoke, and you'll see this on the scriptures on the back that I said, Jesus often spoke of the kingdom is here. It's within you. It's among you. And then he'll say things like, but the kingdom is coming. And that's what we see in Revelation 21 and 22, the full expression of when the kingdom of God comes. To this earth. See, we live with this vision of our destiny, and we are simply loved ones experiencing a foretaste of what it is to come. When you come here and worship in the morning, as great as our band is and as wonderful as Pastor Kyle is in leading us into worship, that is simply a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. Now, hear me, and don't think that we're going to be sitting on clouds playing harps and singing for 24 7 through eternity. There's gonna be assignments. There's gonna be things you're gonna be doing. God's gonna give you assignments based on how you lived your life here, how you served here and what you did here. Never forget that. But we will worship. We will gather around the throne. And And if you enjoy worship here, oh my word, wait till we get into heaven where it's perfect. And you're doing it with all the saints of all the ages. But we are simply getting a vision, a foretaste of what it's like how many of you shop at Costco? Yeah, isn't that fun? I love going to Costco. How many of you go there for lunch? (laughs) I'm not talking about the hot dogs. I'm not talking about the pizzas. I'm talking about the snack day, you know? You walk around, you get a sample of this, you get a sample of that. I'm not buying a dollar and a half hot dog when I can have all the other free goodies. So that's what I do. I go there and I love it. You know why they do that, don't you? They are simply giving me a taste of what they want me to buy. Because they're, you know, it's not the whole plate. They just want me to experience a little taste, hoping that I'll go buy the big box of it. Can I tell you something? If you think in those terms, that's what this earth is about. When you get to see somebody birthed into the kingdom, when you get to see somebody healed, when you get to see somebody changed, when you get to see the rule and the reign of Jesus totally alter somebody's life and the kingdom of God becomes paramount and priority in their life, that is simply a foretaste of the glory, of the goodness, of the grandeur, of the greatness of what heaven is going to be like. And so that's why Jesus came. Here, let me give you a sampling. Here, let me just give you a little foretaste. So, so what does it mean for us to live in the kingdom of God? Hear me, this is important. The kingdom of God demands a response from every person in this room. Jesus told us in the first message, I'm here, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. See, this is the response that Jesus called for, repent, which simply means to turn from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of God. Hear me. This is going to be, this is going to be a little bit of, not deep, but important theology. You can't follow Jesus and stay where you are. And sometimes we have made Jesus and the kingdom of God so easy. And so superficial that people just think, yeah, and Jesus, I'm going to follow him. Right on. You know, it's kind of like the doobies. Hey, Jesus is just all right with me. I don't care what you may say. I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus is just all right. It doesn't work that way. That's not the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of the doobies. Okay? And never mistake it. See, repent, the word metanoia. It means to change your mind, to reverse your course, to change your direction. You turn away from something scripturally, turning to someone, Jesus. You're turning from the things that Jesus hates to the things that he loves. Loved ones, it's that moment of decision when you change the direction of your life. You are literally walking one way and you go, this God thing is happening in me. And you say, I got to follow that. And the picture is literally, you change your mind and you do a 180 and go the opposite way. And it alters your life from that moment on for the rest of your life. You're going your way. And you go, oh, it's not working. What's wrong? How come? I can't do it. And you realize, oh, there's this God I've heard about, Jesus, who can change me. And you make the decision in a moment to go another way. And you start going. Please don't think, do not believe that you can just believe in Jesus and keep living in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of you. I'm sorry. This easy believism that America and a lot of the world has bought into is not biblical Christianity. And that's why we're going through the gospel of Mark because I want to make sure we understand what it means to live and to walk with this person of Jesus. Too many of us have just enough Jesus to be unhappy with sin. But we don't have enough Jesus in the church to be totally unhappy with sin. And so we don't understand why our life isn't moving forward. And we're really not convinced of this Christian Christianity because we're trying to walk the fence. And I've been there. I've done that. I know what that's like. You can't straddle the fence. It's very painful. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus said in, 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 in Matthew 7:21. "Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven." Now there he is talking about heaven. But he's also talking about the kingdom of now and experiencing it here. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You can't just believe and call him Lord, Master in one moment. You have got to do what he wants. You must change. You must move from the kingdom of you, the kingdom of me, to the kingdom of God. Which means I'm going to go your way, not mine. I'm going to do your thing, not mine. I'm going to live your way, not mine. I'm going to think your way, not mine. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? They can't enter in if they're wicked. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting how all of those things are lumped together, but the church has a tendency to focus on one or two of them? Well, let's bash the adulterers. Oh, yeah, but what if you're slandering somebody? Well, come on. No, you're not part of the kingdom. You can't be. Are you saying that that's up there with homosexuality and adultery? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it. I think the Bible says it here. See, Paul lists. Now, listen, listen to this transitional point. Underscore this, underline this. And that is what some of you were. Some of you in this room were that. I hope none of you are now, but if you are, today's your day. Make a change. Metanoia. Go a different direction. Because he says this. Some of you, you were washed. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. So Paul lists all this junk. And he says you can't keep doing what you're doing. And inherit the kingdom of God. And I love verse 11. Because that's what some of you were. How many of us can go, oh yeah. I'm right there. That's me. Yeah, those three things right there. That's what I do. That's what I did. But he says, no, not anymore. You're moving away from that because you've been washed. Who does the washing? Jesus. See, understand to repent, to go another direction. It doesn't mean I clean myself up to make myself presentable to Jesus. It means I go and I turn to Jesus in his way. I turn away from things and I repent it means I turn to him so he could, cleanse and he can change me to repent means i'm a lousy king i can't do it on my own i need jesus i uh, i want you to understand too this thing with repentance metanoia it's it's not a one-time thing a lot of times you know this is where we get really religious we have a tendency to think that we make this one decision one day i'm going to follow jesus And then we forget to live a life of repentance. I think I can't remember. I think it was George Mueller who was a great Christian leader in the back in the seventeen eighteen hundreds, and he said, "This is how I start my day. I get up and I repent every day. I confess my stuff before Jesus, and I want to turn away from those things that are clouding my life with Him." See, repentance, loved ones, it's not a destination. It's a lifestyle. It's a journey. It means every day, all the time. I don't know about you, but I got to do this. I get these thoughts. Oh, I better change my direction on that. Oh, I got this opportunity here. No, I'm going to change my direction on that. Metanoia. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to go a different direction. See, every day, all of us are faced with thought processes and decisions where you got to go metanoia, metanoia, change. 180. I know this will surprise some of you, but I actually did construct or kind of construction type work back in the uh, late 80s. I left uh, uh, a church and I, I planted a church in Mantequa. Well, I led this kid to Christ in my youth group and super talented, skilled, could do just about anything and everything when it comes to building. And so he, he ended up hiring me. He got his contractor's license, then he hired me. And that's a whole fiasco that was crazy but uh not not the building part just working and and, well yeah that was a fiasco too but he 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 wanted to help me out because I was kind of a spiritual father and so he uh hired me and he says one day he kind of tries to train me and the way he trained me was just go do it and uh well you know I'm not really skilled and uh so one day, he says, go to, I want you to go to Modesto, because you worked for Terminex. He did a lot of work for Terminex. He says, I want you to go there. You know, you do get houses ready to sell them and take care of all the little stuff. And he goes, I want you to go find this dry rot in the bathroom. So I go in the bathroom. I start tearing up the linoleum. I'm trying to find this dry rot. I can't find it. So he comes, and he can't find it. So he goes, come here. Well, I'm a little claustrophobic. Actually, I have a lot of claustrophobic, and I really don 't like snakes and um, so he says we 're going to go under this house and i don 't really care for varmints, you know little critters running around and uh, so we, he says we 're going to go under this house, and so we 're climbing down this crawl space and it 's like this you know it 's like oh gee, you know and it 's kind of dirty and, and uh, it 's dark, totally dark, and he 's got this little flashlight ahead of me, and, uh, and we 're crawling, trying to get to the side where the bathroom is and puts his flesh, oh, don't worry about that, that's just little rat droppings over there, <laughs> you know oh great, you know, I can't move and I've grabbed, I've got, I got his pants leg like this, like, don't let me go, Pat and uh, and I'm following him and he's got this little light and he's going, we go over there and all of a sudden there's this, this really strong stench and uh, we're getting close to where the bathroom is and uh, he goes, and just so you know that's raw sewage, and as if I couldn't tell because uh, you know, there's a plumbing issue and then he goes, I look up here, and he starts probing his, his uh, screwdriver, and he says, that's the dry rot that we've got to fix. And I go, well, I can't do that. You'll have to do it. And, and he agreed. But, I, you know, I learned a great lesson about repentance. That's how you live your life. See, we have Jesus who's this master contractor. And see, sometimes we allow things to go underground in our lives. But those things that we push are allowed to grow underground. And we don't allow and invite Jesus in to probe. To put the flashlight of his spirit on. Those are the things that will ultimately rot at the foundation of our spiritual life. That's why, loved ones, I say that repentance, the kingdom of God is ongoing. It should be growing in us. And repentance is part of that growth process. See, just like he had to fix that that, that underlayment, that flooring. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. He wants to come by his spirit and he wants to poke and he wants to press. And to the degree that you are allowing the kingdom of God to be enlarged and at work within you and among you, you will live a life of repentance. And you won't be comfortable With sin. Because God says, I want to come and I want to form you. I want to shape you. And He gives us the power to change, to live a new life, to experience what God wants. Because now the power is within you. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. Why? Because the King lives in you. That's good news. How do you know if you're experiencing the kingdom of God? How do you know if you're experiencing the king in your life? How do you know if you got a haircut? You look different. See, if you're not looking different, you're really not experiencing the kingdom of God. Because you're probably not repenting and realizing that. And I'm not talking about you don't beat yourself up. You just, you just know when you've got to change something. And the power of God speaks to you. The spirit of God speaks to you. And then you allow the power of God to work in you. Well, do you have any Bible verses for that? You bet. Have you ever heard of Zacchaeus? You want to talk about repentance? Jesus goes, hey, shorty. Well, he didn't say that. He said, hey boy, come down here. I'm going to your house for lunch today. But he was short because he had to get up in a tree so he could see Jesus. Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, read it. As soon as, as soon as this man, Zacchaeus, spent lunch with Jesus, guess what happens? He comes out. He was a tax collector. He'd been ripping it. He'd been, he'd been padding his pockets with, his, with the Jewish people's taxes. He'd been milking money out of them. And after spending a lunch with Jesus, he comes out, he steps out of the house, and he goes, Oh man, if I've ever ripped off anybody, (laughs) I'm going to pay him back four times. Ah, see? That's repentance. I'm going to change my direction, I'm going to go a new way, I'm going to take care of my past in Jesus. Woman at the well. She's a gal. She had been married, or excuse me, she'd been living. She'd, she'd been married five times and she was shacked up with a sixth guy. And she encounters Jesus at the well. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to speak to her heart and her life. And what does she do? She runs into town and she goes, You've got to come see this guy. Man, he has told me everything about my life. She goes another direction. What's the first thing she do? She brings the city of Samaria with her, John chapter 4, read it. She repented, she changed her direction. She went a new way. See, Luke 18, 16 and 17 says this, but Jesus called the children to him and he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child can never enter it. The kingdom, loved ones, is a gift. We receive it, we don't earn it. We can't achieve it, we don't deserve it. We simply enter into it and receive it humbly and gratefully like a little child. When you understand that this whole relationship and life with Christ is a gift, it keeps you from getting proud and becoming like a Pharisee. Show me the kingdom. No, 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 the kingdom's in me. I'm living it. I'm walking it. I'm loving it. But hear me, you've got to receive it. Showing up at this church doesn't mean you've entered into the kingdom any more than sitting at Dunkin' Donuts is going to turn you into a dunk, a donut. Okay? You have to make a decision. I am going to receive the king and the kingdom. And I'm going to walk in it. I want to receive God's gracious gift. Last thought is this. Responsibility in the kingdom of God. What do we do once we've entered it? Not only do we live a life of repentance, but we live under God's gracious rule. And hear me, you and I, we become agents of the kingdom. Colossians 4.11 says this, Jesus who is called justice, also sends greetings. Those are, are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they proved a comfort to me. We are workers, loved ones, for the kingdom. We work to extend God's rule, and we can do this in a couple of ways. First of all, when you live in the kingdom under God's gracious rule, hear me, your life should become contagious. It should become winsome. You should be coming more attractive to people. Matthew 13:33 says this, he told them still another parable speaking of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and she mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom is like yeast, yeast lifts, it spreads quickly, it grows. When you live under God's gracious rule, you become contagious. Secondly, we extend God's rule in the world by inviting others to enter and to receive God's rule. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Who? How? Through Jesus Christ, the good news. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, when you enter into the kingdom, loved ones, it isn't just a joy ride. I mean, it should bring joy. But ultimately, he says, now, you, you are my minister of reconciliation. You show them my life. Donnie, you are a minister of the reconciliation of what Jesus has brought you. So everywhere you go, you're doing it. You're bringing the kingdom of God with you. Why? Because you're bringing the king. And it's not that you're preaching. It's not that you're pounding the Bible. It's not that you're thumping the Bible with people. It's simply your life begins to bring opportunities for the kingdom to be seen, experienced, lived out. Thirdly, we extend God's rule in the world by actively working for what God wants. We pray for God's kingdom to come. We pray for God's will to be done. But sometimes, you know what we need to do? We need to put on our denim. We need to dress up for it. Sometimes we feed the hungry. Sometimes we'll go on a missions trip and build a home for somebody. Somebody. Sometimes we help those who are sick. That's what the kingdom people do. We do what Jesus would do. We now are his hands extended. That's what kingdom people do. That's how we begin to know that the kingdom is at work in us because the king lives in us. And if those things aren't happening, loved ones, then you have to question, what is is happening of Jesus in me? Am I doing what the Father is calling me to do? It's not guilt. It's freeing. It's, wow, I get to do that. Because what it does is it frees us from becoming religious. Because the longer you come to this church and just sit and do nothing, the more likely it is you'll just become a religious person. Because you will not be engaging in the life of Christ by going out and being a minister, a servant of His grace.